You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, dedicated to cultivating a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. I'm going to talk about a parable today. Uh, It's a parable that you guys know. It's a parable that may be a little old or tired. Here's the thing with parables. When Jesus taught parables, Jesus would uh, talk about uh, political and social structures. He'd talk about political and social uh, commentary. And so we're going to do the same thing today. Um, Because parables were culturally, uh, um, culturally nuanced, culturally appropriate. I also want to be culturally nuanced and culturally appropriate today. And uh, I'm inspired by another pastor. Her name's Nadia Boltz Weber who did this. And from that inspiration, I'm going to tell you this parable. You guys ready? We good? Okay, here we go. Jesus gets asked, you know, by this guy, what must I do to inherit uh, eternal life? Um, and this is what Jesus says. He says, there's a guy walking down the West Side Highway. This guy's walking down the West Side Highway, and all of a sudden, a group of people come up to him, and they beat him and rob him. Now, who was this group of people? I don't know. Perhaps they were protesters, perhaps they were Trump supporters, people with AR-15 assault rifles. I don't know who they were. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. He gets beat, and he's robbed, and he's left there to die, and it's right by the Chelsea Piers, and so you have, you know, all the kids going in for gymnastics, and the people going to practice their golf swing, and the birthday parties, and everything else, and and this man captures this beating on, on his phone captures it on his phone, he posts it to social media, he says, be careful out there, this is what just happened right by Chelsea Peters. So it gets posted, and then it gets shared by everybody. You know, there's like 300 likes within five minutes, there's 300 more shares within five minutes. And all of a sudden, this pastor is walking down the street, he's this interdenominational pastor of this church, and he's walking down the West Side Highway, and he looks at his phone, he goes, oh my goodness, there was this beating that just went down, and this is terrible, and our church doesn't stand for that. And so this pastor got online and got to the church's website and says, we will not stand for this kind of beating. We won't stand for this kind of oppression. We are a church that wants to support people. And while this pastor's writing this Facebook post, uh, he walks right by the guy who's laying on the ground bleeding and hurt. So the guy's still laying there, and the pastor's writing this impassioned message about his church. And meanwhile, there's this philanthropist, right? And this philanthropist is taking an Uber down the West Side Highway because the philanthropist is late for something at City Winery where they're going to go give a lot of money. And so she's really mad at the Uber driver because they can't find City Winery. And so she gets out of the car. She starts running east, and she misses the person who's laying on the street who's dead or who's about to die. Meanwhile, uh, the pastor gets back on his phone to see what's gone on on his feet, and there's a bunch of people saying that if the, if the uh, victim had just done what the robber said, then none of this would have ever happened, and then there's other people saying that we should have gun laws, there's other people saying we should have voted for somebody uh, who could take care of this kind of stuff, and there's this giant feed filled with arguments and everything else, and the pastor's like, wow, we posted something that really matters, that really makes a difference, and then all of a sudden, Slate came out with something, and it said, everything you know about robbers is wrong, and then Mike came out with something and they said the whole reason that there's robberies like this is because there's no more stop and frisk and we need to get back to stop and frisk and then NPR says well we've identified the robbers and they used to go to Vassar but they can't afford it anymore and so that's why we need public education instead of private and the entire time there's a man laying there bloodied and beaten and hurt and all of a sudden this enemy comes up who's your enemy who's your enemy you don't have to tell me I'll tell you who my, like right now I have no tolerance for the white supremacists. Like this is ridiculous, none. That's my enemy. So a white supremacist comes walking down the street and, uh, and he's going to a rally, he's doing something. And he sees this man lying bloody, beaten. So he runs quickly into Chelsea Piers, grabs coconut water, a kind bar, gives it to the man immediately. 
finds a water taxi, takes the man across to Jersey City because it's a little quieter over there, puts him up at the W Hotel, goes down to the front desk and says, hey, I need you to get a doctor ASAP. They bring a doctor in, they set this man's broken bones, they stitch up where he's hurt. The white supremacist goes back down to the front desk and he says, here's my credit card. This man stays here as long as he needs to. And in that time, there's all this roundtable discussion about how our, our world is going to hell in a handbasket and how we need to vote for the right people and how our government needs to do more about robberies and about victims. And all the while, there's this white supremacist, this man, this enemy, your enemy, my enemy, our enemy, who has done this really radical, controversial, amazing act of unity and peace and life-giving, but nobody talks about it. You know why nobody talks about it? Because mercy... And generosity make for really, really bad news. That's why. Mercy and generosity make for really, really bad news. And so, being culturally appropriate, just like Jesus was culturally appropriate when he named this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, will be culturally appropriate and name this parable the parable of the robbers and the backlash that followed. Because that's what's going on in our world right now. That's what we'll name it. <sighs> Breath. It's Advent time, which means we are waiting for the coming of Jesus. And if you were here last week, which I know it was Thanksgiving weekend, Ben actually did this incredible service where he set up tables all around the room and we began waiting for the coming of our Lord with prayer. It was prayer and lament for those who are oppressed, for those who are hurting, for those who feel marginalized, because the truth of the matter is we can't be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ without the prayer that comes with it. And then Ben uh, used this beautiful verse, and I'm gonna tell it to you, it's gorgeous. It's from Isaiah chapter nine, and it says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Raise your hand if you are waiting for some peace. Yeah, I think everybody should be raising their hand. Amen. I'm waiting for some peace. Absolutely. You know when... Um, when Jesus preached this parable, the parable that he called the Good, the good Samaritan, the one that we're calling the robbers and the backlash that follows, when he preached that, uh, it was in the middle of this really divisive time. Okay, you had uh, ethnic divides, you had divides between Samaritans and people of Israel, there's a lot of ethnic divide, a lot of ethnic divide between Romans and Jews, lots of ethnic divide that way, there's a lot of political divide, you had the Roman Empire, and then you had everyone else who were made into this sorry, oppressed state. Uh, you had... Um, uh, socioeconomic divides where you had the people who lived in the walls of Jerusalem and the people outside the walls of Jerusalem. And so what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is making an incredibly political statement. We've made this parable all about good deeds and it has nothing to do with good deeds. It has everything to do with radical unity and radical peacemaking and radical, radical love. In fact, loving your neighbor is what Jesus calls it. That's what it has everything to do with. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's controversial. It should bother us a little bit. And so it's way easier to call this story the parable of the robbers and the backlash that follows than to actually focus on the really, really radical controversial stuff that this enemy did, this unity that this enemy had. And I got to be honest, like when I read this, it really struck me because here we are, we're like, what, a month out of the election, right? Yeah, yeah, about that. And um, how many people feel just the same way they felt like on November 9th? Like nothing's really changed. Like this is a cycle that has uh, not ended. Like things are not back to normal. Things feel 
heavy and they feel difficult. They feel like they're never going to be the same. Um, people are scared. People are oppressed. People are hurt. And I, I just want to take one second. I want to take one second. I want to say if anybody here feels scared, oppressed, hurt, anything, this is a safe place. This is a place where you are loved. This is a place where we stand for love. This is a place where we stand for justice and we stand for unity. You are safe here. Talk to me afterwards if, if you need help or if you need anything. We want to be there, okay? And, and so, um, you know, people feel that way and, and it feels like this isn't going to get better. That's what it can feel like. It feels hard. It feels difficult. And I'm sure at the time of Jesus, when you have an entire Roman Empire who ruled for, I forget how many, 1,200 years or whatever it was, and they ruled basically the entire earth at the time, and people are giving away 80% of their salary and don't know how they're going to eat, and other people are killing other people over ethnic, over ethnic divide, I'm sure it felt the same way. Like, is this going to get better? And Jesus says, you want to see this get better? It's not about good deeds. It's about this ridiculously controversial way of loving other people that makes you feel really, really uncomfortable. I don't want to hear that. Stephen Gold wrote this op-ed after 9-11. 9-11, how many people were in New York for 9-11? That felt like nothing was ever going to be the same. Um, and this is what he said. He said, good and kind people outnumber all others by a thousand to one. The tragedy of human history lies in the enormous potential for destruction in rare acts of evil, not in the high frequency of evil. Complex, complex systems can only be built step by step, whereas destruction requires but an instant. Thus, in what I like to call the great asymmetry, every spectacular incident of evil will be balanced by 10,000 acts of kindness, too often an unnoted and invisible as ordinary efforts of the vast majority. We have a duty a holy responsibility, I love that, a holy responsibility to record and honor the victorious weight of these innumerable little kindnesses when an unprecedented act of evil so threatens to distort our perception of ordinary human behavior. Now, I'm not calling our election season evil, but it has divided us. It has brought us pain. It has brought us hurt. And there's this holy responsibility, right? We say holy responsibility for 10,000 acts of kindness. You know what it makes me feel like when I say that? I feel a little guilty. I feel a little guilty, like, don't worry. Just, just blow past it all. It's going to be all right. Let's just be kind to one another. Everything will be okay. I feel a little guilty. I mean, I feel guilty when I think about people who are not, you know, like me, right? I'm a, I'm a white, privileged male. People who are not like me, who are having scarves torn off their heads or who are told to go back to where they came from. And it's really easy for me to go, hey, 10,000 acts of kindness. And they're going, I'm afraid for my life. Don't tell me that. I feel guilty. And then I look at uh, what Jesus does and when has following the gospel ever been easy? Jesus says, yeah, you know what? I give weight to the robbers. In fact, the robbers get about a dozen words. Right? They do. I give weight to them. What happened was hurtful. What happened was destructive. What happened gave him. There's weight to the pain that went down. There's weight to the priests and the Levite missing the point. And in fact, just a quick aside, they were doing the right thing, the priests and the Levite. How many people remember the Nazarite vows that I've talked about way too often? Anybody? They were following the Nazarite vow, which says you can't touch anything that's bloody or unclean, right? So they're like, if I touch this man, I can't go help a thousand other people. So they're doing the right thing. Jesus is talking about missing the point. So he's giving weight to us missing the point. He's giving weight to that. But that only gets a dozen words too. 
what gets the rest of the story? What do we remember from the rest of the story? Remember the good enemy, the good Samaritan, the life-changing act of kindness that brings unity where there's division. That's what we remember. And so mercy and generosity might not make very good news stories, but they do not get the victory. They do not get the victory. And so maybe it's okay for us to be afraid, and maybe it's okay for us to be oppressed, and and yes, we call out oppression, racism, we call it injustice, we call out things that we see that are completely wrong, and we set them right. We continue to protest the way that we've protested, we continue to partner with our council people the way we've partnered with them, we continue to write letters the way we've been writing letters, but at the end of the day, we recognize that it's those acts of unity and acts of kindness that gets the victory. Mercy and kindness may not get the news cycle, but it will not get the victory. We have a Jesus Christ, right? This is, God says, you, know, you want to know who I am? You don't want to know what I look like? And he sends Jesus, the Imago Dei, the image of Christ. And the image of Christ says, in the midst of division, in the midst of tension, in the midst of oppression and all of it, you want to see what brings eternal life? Try this radical act of generosity when you don't want to talk to this person, when you can't even name this person. Try that. That's what makes it happen. And then, through the death and resurrection, we become the Imago Dei, right? We are made in the image of God. We're so loved by God. God says, hey, you want to bring eternal life? It's not somewhere else. Guess what's happening? It's here and it's right now. And it's when you are so uncomfortable that you go and create unity with your enemy. That's what brings eternal life. How much does that sound like good news? (laughs) Bringing unity with your enemy. So what do we do? Where do we go? We have a choice, I think. And I think the choice for our church, for us, is this. It's we can continue to call this story the parable of the robbers and the backlash that follows. We can. And it's okay. We can be angry. We're justified in our anger. We can continue to talk about all the things that have happened and feel bad about that. Or or we can do the thing that makes us uncomfortable, which is to say, you know what, I'm easily, I'm, I'm easy for me to stay here. I'm going to get out of this. And I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go talk about something. I'm going to find something that brings peace to this place. That's what I'm going to do. Because mercy and generosity, they make bad news stories, but they don't get the victory. Oh, I said that backward. Anger and violence make good news stories, but they don't get the victory. How do we do that? I think the first thing we have to do is we have to remember that the Samaritan was the enemy. This is a hard thing, right? The Samaritan was someone who used to be cool with the people of Israel, and then they started marrying Assyrians and taking on Assyrian cultures and customs, and then marrying and believing their gods, and and next thing you know, they're considered like the other, the mixed race, and there was this big feud between the two, and then uh, the, the people of Israel built a temple in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans built a temple right next to it, because they were like, you know what, we're going to be an affront to these people. It was so bad that at the end of the story of, of the Good Samaritan, Jesus says, who loves their neighbor? And he says, the one who helped the, the, the victim. That's what he says. He can't even say the Samaritan. It's like when you have the bad ex, right? You, you don't call them by their name, you call them the ex. That's what's going on here, right? That's how much this person's an enemy. And Jesus says, that's right. That's what brings eternal life. That's what brings lasting hope. Okay, who are our enemies? Who are they? All right, let's call out truth. But then it's grace upon grace upon grace. Little acts of kindnesses, little discussions. We come back when it feels impossible. 
we engage when all we want to do is shut people out. I had a friend who goes, I'm so sick of engaging. Jonathan, I have to give something up every time I talk to somebody else who believes this. And I get it. That's normal. That's right. And yet, if we're going to bring eternal life, we say, I'm going to do the uncomfortable thing and go back anyway and talk anyway. Now it's our holy responsibility to do that. It's our holy responsibility to point to all the other 10,000 kindnesses and acts of unity that we see. And so here's what I want us to do today. Okay, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start the process today. We're not going to start by going and calling our enemy on the phone and being like, hey, I hate you, but you want to reconcile? We're not going to do that. I know it takes time to get there, but I just want to practice this holy responsibility we have, this holy responsibility of talking about good News. So when you come up to take communion and you celebrate the fact that our God sends Jesus Christ, the Imago Dei, to show us what this really looks like, and this God dies and is resurrected so that we can partner in bringing peace. When, when we do that, when, when, when we celebrate the fact that we get to be peace while we wait for the Prince of Peace, and we get to be the counselor while we wait for the mighty counselor, when we celebrate, I want you to take one of these markers, gather around the table, and write something that has given you hope or has brought hope to your life, and let's celebrate it. Let's celebrate it that in the midst of divisiveness and anger, that there's a lot of good, unifying, controversial, life-giving, loving your neighbor kind of things going on. And let's highlight it because violence makes for a good news story, but it does not get the victory. Divisiveness makes for a good news story, but it doesn't get the victory. A friend of mine last week, he, um, or two weeks ago, he, was, he called me. And he's like, hey, I, I didn't like your message at all. And I was like, okay, let's talk about that. And so we talked about it, and he had some like, valid points and reasons. And I was like, man, this is what the community is all about. It's about honesty. It's about accountability. It's about sharing with one another. It brought me hope. I was like, man, this is, this is what unity looks like. Maybe something like that happened. You can write about it. I don't know, when Chris gets up and talks about Restore, I had the opportunity to talk to Chris on Wednesday as well. I'm like, man, there are people like changing the world. They are giving life back to people who are told they don't have it. That gives me hope. That brings unity. Maybe that's what we start to write. I have a friend who ran the marathon, and at mile 14, he, he felt his hamstring pop. He strained his hamstring, and so he was like, what am I gonna do? And, and he, he said that like, like all the strangers on the street you know, we're like cheering. They're like, keep going. And then he thought about his dad and like his kids. And I don't know. It was kind of like a touching, sappy story. But anyways, like I limped all the way to the, all the, way to the finish line. And I ran a terrible time. But there was something about that that gave me hope. Like humanity, strangers on the street cheering for you, right? There's, all is not lost. What? What can we celebrate? What brings unity? What gets us started? and bringing back the peace that God intends for this place. What allows us to be the peace while we wait for the Prince of Peace? What allows us to be the counselor while we wait for the mighty counselor? Let's celebrate that today because, yeah, mercy and generosity, they make terrible news stories, but you know what? At the end, because of Jesus Christ, they, they have the victory. Amen? Let's pray then. Father, thank you for all the immeasurable, innumerable ways that you are at work in this world, restoring shalom and bringing peace to it. Lord, help us to remember that there are good people doing incredibly good, controversial, uncomfortable things to bring your peace. And let that peace begin with us today, right here, right now. Let us write this peace down on paper and on our hearts 
and move through the week ready to highlight the ways that you are at work. We pray this in your name. Amen.